Man, good to see everybody. Well, I think, you know, Bethany and I were talking today. We felt like this morning, just, just taking a survey of the church, that, that our emotional health is like at least 25% higher when the ducks win. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we actually needed divine intervention uh, to help us win a football game, and that was exciting. Well, hey, we're, we're even more excited than about what happens on Saturdays is what happens on Sundays, which is that we get to come together and celebrate the risen Savior. We sang today about Jesus. So exciting. And I just want to say welcome to everybody here at Regal this morning. Welcome to everybody at Joy Church UO over at the University of Oregon campus. We're so glad you guys are with us this morning. Excited to have a great day together. Now, for those of you that have been with us over the last several weeks, we've been in the middle of a series, doing a series called You Can't Say That in Church. How many of you have enjoyed this series and enjoyed kind of leaning in to these questions? Go ahead and clap and shout and be excited. Yeah, it's good. And uh, the point of this series, if for those of you that might be, maybe are just joining us today, this is our final day, so sorry the series is over, but this is going to be, I think, probably the best of all. Uh, hopefully, we save the best for last, at least the most controversial for last. And uh, uh, the point of this series has been to take on some of the tough questions, tough objections to the Christian faith, and to, to take those on, things that maybe are barriers for people, and give answers on the Sunday and talk about them, but then also open up for questions and so on and so forth. So we can't cover it all uh, on Sundays. As you know, it's, it's impossible to take on suffering or take on the topic of hell or take on the topic of, of uh, God and science and, and just cover it in 30 minutes on a Sunday. So we have two things available, and this is still going on this week. The first one is that we have a resource page at joyeugene.com that has resources that are being curated week by week for uh, every message, adding things on there, books, articles, podcasts, so on and so forth, videos. And we're going to leave those up. And I'd encourage everybody to, to, to lean in and do some more study and look at some of those things, especially if one of the topics has really piqued your interest. The second thing is that we're doing a weekly podcast and we're taking questions. So you can send an email to can't say that at joyeugene.com, can't say that at joyeugene.com, or you can go to the, the website and you can click ask a question and there's a, a form there. And we've had some great questions. We actually had so many questions come in this week that we only had time to do half of the, we, had, we did the whole podcast and it was an hour, so we had to split it into two parts. So keep asking questions. Uh, it's been great. And uh, how many of you know that God is not intimidated by questions? Um, truth is not intimidated by honest doubt. And so there's nothing wrong, whether you are a skeptic or a follower of Jesus, there's nothing wrong with leaning in and, and dealing with the doubts and confusion and things that maybe are, are stopping you from fully immersing yourself and walking forward. And, and even if you're a skeptic and you're like, well, I actually don't believe in this at all, that's, that's okay. God isn't scared of that. In fact, God is, is looking for you harder than you maybe are looking for him. And so ask your questions, get them answered, keep leaning in, keep walking forward in that journey. So that's what we're doing in this series. Today, we're going to talk about something that you absolutely cannot say in church, and we're going to talk today about politics. All right, everybody, calm down. I'm, I'm either brave or, or stupid. It's one or the other, and depending on the day, right? What's the use of being a man if you can't do something stupid every once in a while? Come on. We're going to talk about politics today, not potlucks. That's another, you can talk about potlucks in church. That's very much uh, on limits. Uh, but I want to talk about politics today, and, and politics is one of those, those topics that if you're in um, a group of people that maybe you don't know where everybody stands, or maybe you know somebody doesn't agree with you, usually it's one of those things that it's a good idea, you don't talk about it, right? I like in the show The Office, uh, yes, I have watched it millions of times, um, 
when Michael Scott has this thing, he says, I, I put this, the, the color green on it so I know to go ahead and not say that. Anyways, <laughs> politics is one of those, those kind of things. I'm going to go ahead and not talk about it. How many of you have encountered this? Because it tends to be divisive. Uh, we, we all have opinions. We all have usually strong opinions about the way things are going or should go or should be. And we always think, if I were in charge, I could do a better job, and this is what we should do. And it's always so clear, isn't it, what should be done? And so politics is one of those difficult things. Then you talk about politics and religion. You mix politics and church, and you have a, a cocktail that's just explosive, right? So why are we talking about politics today? Well, here's why. Because as followers of Christ, and even if you're skeptic leaning in today, looking into the Christian faith, it's vital that we don't abandon some of the most important topics and areas of culture and society and act like God doesn't have anything to say about it. Now, before you think, oh man, our pastor's going to come down on one side or the other and just promote a political agenda, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I think that's actually contrary to the gospel, and I'll share with you today how we, as followers of Christ, can actually navigate these difficult waters, how we can navigate the, the mess of politics as a Christ follower, okay? You excited? But I want to deal with a myth first. There's this myth that I think is pervasive in our culture right now, which is that that right now things are worse than they've ever been, right? And you'll hear this all the time. Well, you know, now, and it was the same with Obama as it is with Trump, right? It doesn't matter who's president, who the president is at a given moment. It will always, people say, well, now that we've got Trump, everything's worse than it's ever been. Well, when we had Obama, it was worse than it's ever been. Isn't it interesting that it's always worse than it's ever been when it's not the person that you voted for, right? It's always worse than it's ever been. But it's always, but for, even for those of us, whatever side you're on, whatever, it doesn't matter, it's worse than it's ever been. This is a myth, though. Thousands of years ago, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes said, there's nothing new under the sun. Here's the truth. Things are not worse now. Politics have always been messy. And I'll tell you why. Because people are involved. When you introduce people into any situation or scenario, things tend to get a little messy. And if you have kids, say amen. I just, I can't, I can't fathom the ways that my kids get Play-Doh into every possible place in our house. Play-Doh is of the devil. It's demonic. <laughs> but politics are not worse now. The, the world is not a worse place than it's been. You say, oh, there's so, much, there's so much war and there's so many problems and there's confusion and there's fighting. And that's called the, the human race. It's the, the human condition. It's always been like this. And we're going to talk about a time in history when politics maybe actually were worse than they are now. But here's why I want to bring this up. See, if we come to this and we say, oh, it's worse now than it's ever been, and we lose sight and we elevate our own cultural moment, we have a problem. And here's the thing that this contributes to this myth. It contributes to this whole game of politics. And I want to, I want to kind of open this up and, and bring some insights, shine some light into it today. You see, politics is all about taking a side. You're like, no, duh. It's about red versus blue, black versus white right? It's about left versus right. It's about, it's about taking a side. Whose team are you on? What side? Are you conservative or are you liberal? Are you Republican or are you a Democrat? In politics, the whole game, the whole thing is to get you to square up and face off with one of your brothers or sisters in, in the human race. Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? It's all about taking a side. I remember when I was in Bible college, we had a Bible college internship, so it was a small class. I think we had eight or ten students, and this new girl came in. Her name was Bethany. Now, you know the story. She's my wife. She's amazing. She's incredible. She's way too good for me. Amen. 
way too good for me. And I know I, this is revealed to me in new ways every single day. Um, she's, she's more beautiful, she's, which is good. You always want to marry a woman more beautiful than you guys. In case you didn't learn that, that's how it works. Um, but my wife, uh, before she was my wife, she came into our Bible college. And Bethany has always been kind of a free thinker. She doesn't, she doesn't roll with the whole you have to pick a side kind of a thing. And those of you that know Bethany know and love her and appreciate that this is how she is. My wife will not be boxed. Come on. She's not going to be put, you have to play for this team. No, I'm going to, be, I'm going to go the other side then if that's what you're saying. You know, she doesn't, she's not going to get locked in. And I remember this rumor began to get passed around because it was politics season. She'd come in and it was around November and it was like, do you know that Bethany voted for Ralph Nader? Now, I'm growing up in a conservative, Republican home, you know, this, this kind of thing. And so we're like, what? All of us Bible college, she voted for Nader, which actually was not true. Okay, that was a lie or a rumor. And so what we ended up finding out is people are passing on. And so I think somebody got brave and was like, Bethany, did you actually vote for Nader? And if those of you that don't know who Ralph Nader is, he's the guy who always gets like fifth place. Just in case, you, I mean, that's basically all you need to know. Uh, I think he's the Green Party. He's just like, who will let me run for president this year, right? Those of you that voted for Nader don't get offended, okay? But he has no chance. Anyways, Ralph Nader. So we're like, Bethany voted for Nader. Oh, my gosh. Well, then we come to find out, no, she didn't vote for Nader. She wouldn't say what she voted for. We found out she was politically unaffiliated. And we're like, what is that? <laughs> How could you be politically unaffiliated? This is breaking our brain because you're supposed to play for one side or the other. Hello. Red Rover, Red Rover, send the other side over. You know, like it's, you're supposed to be, are you red or are you blue? Are you conservative? Or are you Democrat? And she's like, I'm, I'm an independent. I'm unaffiliated. And that was just, it just broke our entire, our entire atmosphere. But you know, Bethany had kind of figured something out that maybe the rest of us needed to figure out. And I think the rest of us today need to figure out this whole political thing, this whole game, it's fixed. There's actually a problem beneath the problem. If you play along with the whole left versus right and red versus blue and brother versus brother, so on and so forth, you're going to lose every time. You're going to lose every single time. The whole game of politics is to get us to waste our time fighting each other while the real battle takes place somewhere else. It's an illusion, you guys. This whole thing of, well, it's us versus them. It's left versus right. It's red versus blue. It's an illusion. It's a diabolical divide and conquer strategy. And I use the word diabolical very intentionally. Diabolical connects and connotates with the idea of the devil. And you're like, you're talking about the devil? Yeah, I'm talking about the devil. See, here's the thing about the devil and why he's involved in this. It, he, it doesn't matter. He doesn't care why you hate someone. He just wants you to hate somebody. Listen to me here. He doesn't care why you hate someone. He just wants you to hate. Well, I hate them because they're pro-life. I hate them because they're pro-choice. Well, I hate them because they're pro-Obama. Well, I hate them because they're pro-Trump. Well, I hate this person. And the devil just laughs. He doesn't care about your politics. You think he cares about who's on the ticket or who gets to sit in an office in a White House? He doesn't care. He just cares that you hate your fellow human beings. It's a diabolical divide and conquer strategy because the real battle is between good and evil. The real battle is for the hearts and souls of people that Jesus died for. And Jesus didn't say, are you Republican or Democrat? Okay, the, to the, the, the sheep and the goats, you know, and let your political opinions decide who goes where. He didn't do that. He died for people created in the image and likeness of God who have worth and value. The real battle is for people's hearts and souls. He doesn't care why you hate someone. He just wants you to turn to the dark side. And here's, the, here's a little clue in how this whole political thing works. 
Did you know that it's actually easier to do the, to do the wrong thing for the right reasons? See, what happens is we, we get connected with ideas, and maybe, maybe you get an idea in politics, and it's an important issue. And I'm not saying politics aren't important. They are, and they have ramifications for life, so on and so forth. But we, we, we get an idea, and all of a sudden, we start hating someone or wanting to hurt the other side because we're so convinced of the rightness of our, our cause. Here's something that I encountered. I, I come from a, a conservative area. I'm from Southern Oregon, and uh, Southern Oregon, by and large, is conservative. It's like the, it's like the Alabama of Oregon, okay? Uh, and so... Um, minus the, the excellent football, so we're missing out, and excellent barbecue. So it's like all the bad parts, but without the good stuff. Um, and, and, and in Southern Oregon, you know, there was this, uh, where am I going with this? Sorry, guys, I, I was telling jokes and I got off. <laughs> okay, oh yeah, I, yeah. I'm from a conservative area, so when Bethany and I moved up to Eugene, I began to encounter uh, Christians that were like Democrats, and, and liberal, and, and, you're, and you're thinking, well, yeah, like some of, some of us are. You don't have to raise your hand. Please don't. Uh, and, 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 you know, meeting people, and, and, I, and I had conversations with them, and they would say, and I'd hear this perspective just a lot more than I had previously encountered. They'd say, well, yeah, but how could you be a Republican because you hate poor people and you want to shut the borders and all this kind of stuff. And then the Republicans would say, yeah, but you're, you're baby killers and so on and so forth. And what I realized is this. There's good people on both sides who think that their position is more like Jesus' position. And that's not where the battle is between. Come on. It's not about Republicans and Democrats. Well, I'm a Christian, and so I'm a Democrat. I'm a Christian, so I'm a Republican. No, you should not be either of those things based on your faith. There's a different kingdom that your faith should align you with, okay? And I began to encounter this perspective, but here's the thing. It's easy to do the wrong thing when you think that you're right, you think that your position is what Jesus would do. I'm a Republican just like Jesus. I'm a Democrat just like Jesus. Newsflash, he wasn't either. And he wouldn't be now. Jesus voted for Nader. <laughs> uh, no, he didn't. He, he would know Nader wouldn't win. He was like, I can't, I can't bet on this guy. Ralph, I love you. You're made in the image of God. Sorry, you're not going to win. Jesus wouldn't get pulled into this. Why? Because he's not fighting the same battles. He's not hating. He's not wanting to hurt someone else to prove a point or get an idea across. Are you guys with me? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. People thinking, I'm right, therefore I can hate, I can do the wrong thing. No, that's wrong. Even to do the wrong thing for the right reason is still wrong. So let's disarm this deception that we face in politics. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version because I like the, the way that it's, it's phrased. It's this beautiful story, this amazing story about a time in politics when politics were worse than they are right now. And you say, no, it's worse now than ever. Actually, no, it wasn't. Because see, thousands of years ago, politics were like, you disagree with our politics, we're going to come in and cut your throat and kill all of your people. That's a little different than now, right? I was so offended because someone disagreed with me on Facebook. Oh my God, I'm, I'm wilting right here. I'm just, you know, that's how it is today. Politics in ancient times were like, you disagree with our politics? <laughs> you know. Did you get it? That was like a sword. Was, thank you. Hope that came through on the camera. It was sword cutting. Okay. So that's what happened. And here's Joshua. He's the leader of Israel. They're coming into the land of Canaan in Joshua chapter five. They're going to go in and, and conquest. And it says, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, this is Joshua 5.13, that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man, uppercase man, because this is a representation of God. This is the angel of Yahweh. We don't have time to go into this, but this is God here standing here before him, stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. 
And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And this is the politics question, isn't it? Are you for us or for them? And I love this answer. This is what it says. So he said, no. (laughs) Do you walk to school or carry your lunch? You didn't answer my question, God. He says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And look what Joshua did. It says, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Are you for us? the Republicans? Are you for us, the Democrats? Or are you against us? God, what side are you going to take? God, whose side are you on so that we can rightly crush the infidels? Come on, somebody. Amen. And God's answer is no. What do you mean? You're not, you have to play for a team, God. You have to pick, God. It's left or right. It's Republican, Democrat. God says no. What did he say to Joshua? No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come saying what? Saying, I have another agenda. I don't play for one of your teams. I have my own team and everybody needs to play for this team. Hello. God has an agenda that supersedes our politics. Does it include our politics? Absolutely. But it supersedes it. His purposes are far beyond the battles that we fight, even over important issues. And ultimately what God is after is the redemption and the restoration of the entire universe. Not just to make America a little bit different than than another time. Come on. God is working to redeem the creation that he made that was broken at the fall. This whole battle that God is fighting, his kingdom and what he wants to do, and the new creation that God is ushering in is completely different. It's It's a whole nother level. Well, God, whose side are you on? No. I'm on my own side. God has an agenda. It's not, he's not going to join our side, whatever side you think is right or wrong. He's not going to join. He has his own agenda. So how do we escape? How do we escape the divide? How do we break out of this whirlwind of hate and superiority and power games? And how many of you like me are just sick of it? And saying, oh, it's just get, let's get out of this. Let's get out of this battle where we're just beating each other bloody and nothing ever changes. Here's the thing. The devil just laughs himself to sleep every night in America. Because here we are, we're laughing and we're hating Democrats and hating Republicans and hating Obama, hating Trump, and little kids don't have moms and dads. And men and women are are addicted and in bondage to drugs and pornography and all these kind of things, and 50% of marriages fail. And here we are yelling at the other side, you idiots, you're so wrong, you're what's wrong with America, and God is weeping and the devil is laughing. Well, whose side are you on, God? Whose side are you on? He says, I'm on my side and I'm on everybody's side. Because his purpose is to reconcile culture. I'm preaching good today. Come on, somebody. Shout me down. So what does is, what is Joshua do? This is how he responds. He responds with two things, with worship and with surrender. What is our response in the heated whirlwind of politics and all this? How do we break out? We fall on our face and say, God, deal with me. You're not joining my agenda. Whoever, Whatever right side I think I'm on, I'm going to join your agenda. Worship is is bowing down like Joshua did and saying, I admit that I'm going to join your team, God. You're on the throne. You're number one. And surrender. And Joshua says, what does my Lord say to his servant? The response of a Christian shouldn't be, how do I beat the other side? It should be, what does God want me to do today? What does God want me to do today to contribute to the flourishing and success of the society that I call home? Something similar happened to Jesus with this whole left and right, black and white, fight, be on our side kind of thing. 
In Mark chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Later the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Now, this is a heated, loaded question. You want to talk about CNN or Fox News, they get somebody in the hot seat and they go, give us a soundbite. This is like this on steroids, okay? Because the, the Jews and the Israelites, they hate Rome. Rome is conquest, uh, has, has rulership over Israel and there's this heated political climate. Again, it's not worse now. Things have always been politically heated, even to the level of life and death. And they're like, okay, we're going to trap Jesus. We're going to get him to take a side. We're going to get him to, to give him enough rope to hang himself Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And his reply completely amazed them, it says. Here's something amazing about what Jesus did. See, a lot of people say, look, he's just, that's a brilliant thing that he said about Caesar, but he's also giving them a lesson. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar because Caesar's image is on the coin. Whose image is on your life? If you were to find on yourself the image of, the, of God, as we know we're created in the image of God, who's, who should you give yourself to, left or right? Whose side? Am I Roman? Am I Israelite? Am I Republican? Am I Democrat? Am I American or Mexican or what? side should I align with? And Jesus is saying, no, you need to render to Caesar what gives to Caesar, render to God what goes to God. And what goes to God is whose image is on, whose God's image is on, which is on people, which means people belong to God. So we shouldn't treat each other as if you belong to one side or another. And Jesus' reply completely amazes them because he redefines the lines. He refuses to choose a side. He refuses to get caught up in politics because he knows what the real battle is about. The real battle is not between Rome and Israel. The real battle is not between America and Russia. The real battle is not between nations. The real battle is about souls. The real battle is taking place in the spiritual realm. The real battle is for people's hearts. Let me give you three principles for navigating politics as a follower of Jesus today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can still do this and it, will, and it works. Because even if you don't know Jesus, you still maybe don't want to have a ruined life with politics, right? So let's look at this together. Three things today that followers of Jesus can do. They can love everyone. They can honor authority and know your kingdom, know your kingdom. So I'm going to talk about this. The first one is this, love everyone. In the scriptures, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor and to love our enemy. And I love what G.K. Chesterton says. He says, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor and our enemy because often they're the same person. Right? Right? And you know this because you've had that, that Wilson over the fence conversation with your neighbor and they voted for Trump. Oh my God, what the heck? Or you had that over the fence conversation and they voted for Obama. What the heck? Aren't you a Christian? Don't you go to First Baptist? Don't you go to Joy Church? Don't you? Come on, somebody. Okay. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. They're often the same person. The, the call of the Christian is not to love discriminately. It's to love indiscriminately. I mean, you take the parable of the Good Samaritan And you want to talk about heated politics, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't just have political strife, they had racial strife. It was like on like Donkey Kong in their relationship. And you can't get more on than Donkey Kong. That's just a fact right now. Donkey Kong's on, it's on. Come on. 
It was on like Donkey Kong between Jews and Samaritans. And the Samaritan in the parable is the one that loves and shows mercy. And Jesus was saying, you're called to love indiscriminately. How do you want to be loved when you're in the ditch? That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about. Jesus' listeners are supposed to see themselves on their back looking up into the sky when they've been beaten and messed up. And you don't ask somebody who they voted for when you need help, when you just need rescue, when you need to be loved. You don't worry about who somebody voted for. We're called to love indiscriminately. Christians, how do you respond in the heated world of politics? Love the snot out of people. You voted for this person who I think is a total idiot. That's awesome. I love you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace you. You might think they have the worst politics and they have no brain in their head. Doesn't mean you can't love them with all of your heart and soul. See, we have this idea that comes from culture that love is about agreement. It's not. In fact, real love is always demonstrated in disagreement which is why the greatest demonstration of love in human history was at the cross when mankind who had their middle finger up to God was embraced by the love of God poured out at the cross. Real love is actually most potent in a place where there's disagreement. So actually, when somebody disagrees with your politics, that's an opportunity for you to be more like Jesus than another person. The power of God, the wisdom of God revealed at the cross in humility and sacrifice, that's the way of Jesus, not crushing people with power. See, I don't like this thing that has crept in to the church where we, where, whatever side you're on, and you might think, oh, he's talking about conservatives here because conservatives are in power. No, I'm not. I'm talking about all of us. There's this thing where we, we get this idea from our human nature that if we can get power, then we can change the world for Jesus. If we can get our guy or our girl in, in the presidency, we can crush the other side. You sound like Blackbeard the pirate, not Jesus. Aren't you wanting to do it differently? That was a good joke. That was good. Punishing puns, yes. This idea of power, and that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus emptied himself of power so he could sacrifice himself for the world. Number one, we are called to love everyone, love indiscriminately. Yeah, but they're homosexual, love them. Yeah, but they're Muslim, love them. Yeah, but they're a Democrat, love them. They're a Republican, love, 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 love indiscriminately. And we need to define love, and we're going to do that in the next series, shameless plug. Loveology that's coming up. I'm excited about it, but we'll move on today. Number two, number two, honor authority. Here's the thing about government and authority. Governmental authority is God's provision for people in the midst of a sin-soaked world. It's literally just there to keep the world on the rails. In other words, God looked at the human condition of evil working in the hearts of men and women and how that manifests. And he said, look, these guys are going to blow the whole thing up. Everything is going to go mashugana. I got to do something. And so God appointed authority. And God said, here's authority. If you can't use common sense and wisdom and love, then you'll have to be governed by power, which is why governments exist, which is why there is no such thing as a Christian government. Well, we have a Christian nation. No, we don't. There's no such thing. The Bible talks about nations and kingdoms and powers as beasts. How do beasts act? <laughs> like kids, right? <laughs> like two-year-olds. We have one in our house. They fight for their, what they, I need my portion and I'll protect my land and all this kind of stuff. We don't have a Christian nation or a Muslim nation. You have Christian people or Muslim people dictating policy, so on and so forth. But you hear what I'm saying? But governments are placed by God to keep the world on the rails. And it says this in Romans 13, verse one. Paul says, everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And we don't like this because we like the whole Jesus is love and there's no, no. It says all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Well, how could God place President Obama in place? How could he place Trump? 
that the Bible says that God placed people there. But you have to understand, it's not because God thinks that person, on whatever side they are, is perfect or that they, they have every answer right. We get this weird mentality about this, right? It's, that's not what God is doing. He's putting them there as a stopgap, as the final stop to human insanity of evil. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, so let's move on. Placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Unless there's injustice, which is a real problem, okay? So I think people will say, what about when authorities cross the line and do things wrong? That's a problem. Uh, Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants. Listen to this part. Sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too for these same reasons. People are like, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. It is. (laughs) It's in there. Pay your taxes. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. You're a follower of Jesus. You're under this. You are called to honor authority, which means even if you don't agree, and in fact, especially when you do not agree, we need to honor. And how many of you would join with me as a Christ follower and say, I actually need to repent about my attitude towards authority. My attitude, come on, somebody, don't leave me up here by myself. That I have said, this president is this, or this president is that, or that president was the worst, or this one or that, and we've dishonored authority, okay? It's not wrong to say I disagree. I think there's a better way, or that's a bad idea. That's not, that's not dishonoring. Dishonoring is when we, we, well, we know what it is. Let's just say that. We'll move on. When we take it to that, that other level, we'll disparage and slander and so on and so forth and try to actively tear down dishonor. We're called to honor authority as followers of Jesus. Not agree with it, honor it. Come under, come in accordance. As long as the laws of the land don't, don't stop you from following Jesus in some tangible way, we have to honor authority. Are you with me? Okay. Number three, we need to know our kingdom. Know your kingdom. Whose side are you on? No, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. In other words, there's not just one side or another. There's, a, there's another kingdom that we as followers of Christ belong to. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and I don't just mean heaven, maybe the way you think of it is like out in eternity. I mean heaven now that Jesus ushered in and instituted the kingdom of God right now that we, you guys, if we're followers of Christ, we're called to be agents of subversive good. We're called to be agents that are working daily to bring back God's original intention for creation instituted in the Garden of Eden where mankind was placed in a position of stewardship and management, we are, are called the we are we are we wear the image of God. We are imagers, uh, created in the image of God. And this often gets talked about in like a self-esteem way. Hey, you need to feel good about yourself. You're made in the image of God. The reality is actually no. Um, you've eaten too many Cheetos, and you actually do need to exercise a little bit. Um, and you know, if you have like you know a missing uh, uh, you know your hair is orange or something, and you've dyed it and messed it up, it's okay to be like I actually made a mistake, and my image is a little off. That's not what the image is talking about. Are you with me? The image of God, the image of God is a, is a vocation. It's saying you are going to reflect and represent God to the world. Should you have good self-esteem? Absolutely. Is, does God love you? Did he make you? Absolutely. That's not, those things aren't wrong. 
But, it, it, but we, we use this kind of image of God thing wrongly. What the image of God is, is a vocation. It's a job. It's a position of authority that God has placed us to. And our job is not to beat the other side. Our job is to get creation back to what it's intended to be. So when Jesus saves you, he's not just saving you so someday you can be a fat cherub sitting on a cloud playing a harp. That's not the point. He saved you so that, yeah, you can have eternal life, but he saved you so you can also begin to bring restoration into culture and society right now. But you can't do that unless you know your kingdom. Because see, a lot of us think, oh, I'm fighting for the kingdom of the Republicans, or I'm fighting for the kingdom of the Democrats. That's not your kingdom. Your kingdom is the kingdom of God. Your kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom is Eden. Your kingdom is to bring God's original intention to fruition in our cultures, in our society, so that this city that we live in looks like how Jesus would like it to look. Come on. And it doesn't matter what side politically you're on. You can still be the Im- you're made in the image of God as a follower of Christ. Part of knowing our kingdom is about knowing our enemy. And this is a huge thing. That Ephesians chapter 6 talks about spiritual warfare. It says, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spirits in the heavenly places. As followers of Jesus, we need to understand that it's not the Democrats or the Republicans or the Naderites or whoever it is, or the, the Russians or the Muslims or the Mexicans or whoever the flavor of the month that we're supposed to hate is. Come on, somebody. It's not that. It's the, it's the spiritual battle that there are demonic spirits. There are uh, fallen spiritual powers that have a limited amount of control that are creating evil and causing people to turn against each other. And they are our enemy, not your brothers and sisters. You should never celebrate when a person that, that is made in the image of God falls into eternity without Christ. You should never celebrate. We need to nuke those people. My God, what are you saying? That is your family. Well, we need to go in and just, we need to kick, we just need to slaughter these people. Come on, some, come on. Know your kingdom. That's not your enemy. It's not flesh and blood. It's those principalities and powers. Spend less time arguing your politics on Facebook and spend more time on your knees in prayer, fighting the battle where it actually makes a difference in the kingdom that you belong to. Our job as followers of Jesus, this is a good message, okay? I'm just going to tell you, if you didn't know that, it's good. (laughs) Spend some time investing where the battle actually makes a difference. Our job as Jesus followers, it's not, it's not to win against the other side. It's literally to reconcile people to God. Christians, we don't win when we win. We lose. Because the real battle is not, see, we got our person in and we beat you, stupid. And that person says, great, I don't want to know your God. You treat me like garbage, you're just exactly like the rest of us. We don't win when we win. We win when people find Christ. Who cares? Who cares what political side somebody is on at the moment? Because it shifts back and forth, just so you know, through history. A hundred years ago, what it looked like to be a Democrat is not the same as it is today and vice versa for Republicans. And most of us don't even know what a wig is and why would you wear one? But you know, politics have shifted. That was a good joke. History right there. The real battle. Our job as followers of Jesus is to reconcile people. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. 
Our job as followers of Jesus is to bring reconciliation between people, not animosity, not enmity, to bring people back into relationship with us and with God. Let me finish with this. The book, The Screwtape Letters, some of you have read this. It's a C.S. Lewis book, and it's brilliant. And The Screwtape Letters is actually letters from a senior demon to a junior demon who's telling him how to work on what he calls his patient. Okay, are you with me? So this is, a, this is gonna seem a little odd, but it's because it's, it's, the, it's the demonic side. Listen to this. This is, this is Screwtape writing to his nephew Wormwood to help him tempt a human being. He says, my dear Wormwood, be sure the patient remains completely fixated on politics, arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing there's a problem with himself. Keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. It's a diabolical plan. The political divide is a diabolical plan to divide and conquer human beings made in the image of God who are called to be imagers, who are called to be agents of the new creation, agents of, of subversive good. And so here's the thing. The ultimate answer in the political sphere, how to navigate politics, So the same as every other sphere of life. It's that we need to, to turn our hearts to Jesus and realize the problem isn't out there. The problem is in here. The problem isn't the other side, it's my side. It's my selfishness, it's my brokenness, it's my evil. The problem is in our hearts. And Jesus is inviting all of us today to lay down our pitchforks and not deal with the monster hiding in the castle, but deal with the monster living inside of us. It's way easier to storm the gates, isn't it? It's the Republicans, crucify them. It's the Democrats, crucify them. And God says, why don't you just put your pitchfork down for one second and here, let me hand you this mirror because you're the problem. I'm the problem. Sin is the problem and we're all infected with it and the answer is Jesus. And today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I wanna invite you to become his follower. And if you are a follower of Jesus already, then I wanna invite you to keep following and follow him a little bit better because this is a convicting area, isn't it? You know, a lot of times people think about the gospel and they think that it's sort of the culmination of a spiritual journey. Well, I'll go on this long spiritual journey and then once I've kind of worked everything out and understand everything perfectly theologically and I'm clean and I'm moral and all this stuff, then I can give my life to Jesus. And the reality is that Jesus is just calling you to follow him right now today in whatever state you find yourself in. Because see, the gospel is about one really important thing. It's about not trusting in your own righteousness, your own goodness, your own thinking, and about saying, I'm gonna trust in Jesus. And then everything that comes out of that is what we call following Jesus. And so salvation is not the end of a journey, it's the beginning of a journey. It's the beginning of a life that Jesus invites you into to begin to teach you how to live and begin to teach you to be a citizen of eternity, teach you how to be a citizen of this new kingdom that God is ushering into the world. And if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I want out of the mess, I want out of this, I want out of the brokenness, I wanna get into this kingdom of, of God, get into God's family, then Jesus is your answer.